I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we're talking to people who are working to make their cities better. Our hope is that after the end of each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. 360 Degree City is brought to you by the team at Intelligent Futures. We're a group of versatile urban problem solvers, and our aim is to find better ways of living together. This past week, we had the pleasure of attending the 100th Annual Canadian Institute of Planners Conference in Ottawa. We were really grateful to actually win three awards. Our engagement lead, Cassandra Cager, received the President's Award for Young Planners, recognizing her outstanding contribution to planning in Canada. Our ephemeral and intermittent streams project received an award of excellence in the planning practice category. And this very podcast received an award of excellence in the media and publications category. Not bad for a team of six, if I do say so myself. While this has been amazing to receive this national recognition for our efforts, I think it also reflects what's been happening inside our shop. Over the last few years in particular, we've been really intentional about building our culture at Intelligent Futures. At the center of our day-to-day working lives are our core values. We have three. The first is stay curious. Our firm is a place where we're constantly pushing each other to learn more about the world and how we can improve our impact. The second is always strive for amazing work. The work of Intelligent Futures is focused on making a positive impact in the world. And the final one is take courageous action. So we aim to be a company that thrives by taking action in places and in ways that others won't. And reflecting on these awards, our values were foundational to all of these initiatives. From quite a different lens, today's episode is also about values and culture. Something that's really amazing and beautiful about the festival, uh, the festival world that I think is what continues to draw people to it, is the things that we really practice and celebrate within a festival site are kind of what we would like to see in our society in a bigger way. But not about office culture. Rather, I'm talking to Jillian Morans about music festival culture and the values that people often hold at these types of events. My name is Jillian Morans, and I work uh, in event coordination, uh, specifically in terms of live music and live music festivals. In this episode, Jillian and I talk about where she grew up, her undergraduate thesis that took her to music festivals from Vancouver Island to Newfoundland, and how cultural elements of community, intention, and value are conducted at different music festivals across the country. So let's dive in. So I wanted to go uh, fairly far back in terms of uh, maybe you could tell us a bit about where you grew up and how that impacted uh, your research and your university days and the work that you do today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I grew up in southern Alberta, which is a tiny little town just south of Calgary. Um, it's actually where Joni Mitchell was born. Uh, lots of people don't know that because she actually legit. grew up in Saskatoon, but yeah. that's where, yeah, that's where she, she started what's out the as a name very, of the very town? tiny little baby. Fort McLeod. Fort McLeod. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's at the junction of the highway two and the highway three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so growing up there was very interesting. It's a very small town, um, very much like many small towns in Southern Alberta, quite conservative, uh, quite um, just kind of set in its ways in terms of its history. uh, And there wasn't a lot going on. So as a young kid, uh, it was very easy to kind of feel bored and a little bit disenfranchised, you know, that, that sort of um, alienation that we feel in our, in our hometowns is as, 
young people who are turning into adolescents and going through all of those phases. Um, but, and there wasn't, there wasn't much to do, but there was something that my parents had, uh, helped create, which was this little music festival called South country fair, which, uh, is still 33 years later, still happening today. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was, that was definitely a really big part of where I grew up. I didn't see, arts and culture, uh, in terms of really having a wide breadth of exposure, uh, to different types of arts and culture and artistic expression. Uh, that wasn't really something that was just a given, uh, in the town that I grew up in. So I learned very early on the value of, um, of having those types of experiences because they weren't always accessible. Hmm. Um, and so that was definitely something that informed as I, grew up and I, I became a, 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 you know, an adult with a little bit more agency and what I was going to do with my time and where I was going to spend my time. That was definitely something that, uh, informed all of those, those next phases and chapters in my life was not, uh, taking for granted the arts and culture that you can encounter and, um, and really starting to dig into why it's so important. And, uh, so yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely a really big part of growing up and not always having those, um, those opportunities definitely made my, uh, my search for that stronger. Mm -hmm. And so with, with that background, um, what's, what, what are your, your insights in terms of, uh, why live music, why arts and culture, uh, what do you think that that, that brings to a city or a community? Uh, I think it's, uh, it's a lot of things. I mean, it's a huge part of our cultural fabric. Um, and it's a huge part of our cultural fabric that's kind of naturalized a little bit. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of the time we don't always necessarily think about what it takes to put a band together to rehearse that band, to write the songs or to learn the songs that you're performing. And then to have that be something that people can encounter. There's a lot that goes into actually putting that, uh, putting that in motion. Um, but it's something that is very much naturalized in our society as well. Um, but I think in terms of importance, um, it's highly accessible. Um, it actually is in many ways a, uh, uh, samples of our oral history as well. Um, mm. You know, you can look back through the ages and through the decades, and there's definitely songs or sounds or genres that are going to be more prominent um, in different times of sort of that that musical trajectory. Uh, but also, it's a really big vehicle for social and political change and messages. Um, and I think that having that space where it is simultaneously so accessible and, and also something that is kind of naturalized gives it this really, really potent power, uh, that is, I don't know if you saw the, the documentary with, um, about Sam Cooke, it's on Netflix right now. No, I haven't. Uh, but it's, it's really, really great. I would recommend it to absolutely anyone. It's really important for a lot of reasons as well. Um, but in the sixties, Sam Cooke was such a, he was a huge, um, a civil rights advocate and an activist. Um, and, you know, he was put in this kind of the same uh, categories as Dr. King, as Malcolm X, um, as Muhammad Ali, just in terms of the type of, of activism that, that he was and the, the, the kind of rights that he was uh, advocating for. But 
Sam Cooke was kind of considered to be more dangerous in a, in a specific way than Dr. King or Malcolm X by the people who were trying to oppress this movement because he had a direct avenue into the living rooms of white America because his mm. music was so accessible. And it was packaged in a way that wasn't just an activist standing in front of an audience of activists wanting to spread that message. It was packaged in a way that was so accessible that it could circulate in a way that was not just sort of preaching to the choir or trying to convert. It actually kind of got underneath people's skin and did something without them really knowing it. And that was part of the reason why uh, it's part of the reason why it's so important for everyone to see that film and to understand uh, the the story of Sam Cooke, but also it's a really good example on uh, why music can be so important in in terms of um, of a city landscape because it has there's so many different dimensions to what it can do as a vehicle for activism, for social change, and also just for sort of recording where our society is at at that exact moment. Um, I think that it's 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 indispensable, really. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's really insightful, and, and it makes me think of um, in terms of the the city. Um, building and the actual physical um, pieces of our our cities, those are also artifacts in time. So it's an interesting parallel in terms of, um, you know, certain styles of architecture, um, certain kinds of infrastructure, all those kinds of things, those you can go through a city and almost walk through time in certain ways, uh, because those are markers of those, those places and, and what was represented there. So that's a really interesting parallel I'd never thought of, um, in terms of yeah. uh, being able like the, the, the cultural markers, the physical markers of how our society and our communities evolve over time. That's it's really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, it's really cool too, when you look at the histories of cities in terms of uh, like right now I'm, I'm living in Vancouver and Vancouver was, uh, you know, aside from maybe Montreal, uh, it was the punk rock Mecca of Canada in the eighties. Like it was the punk scene here was mm-hmm. unmatched. And even though the music landscape has changed a lot, uh, in the last 40 years, it still is such a, an undercurrent of the music landscape here, even though it might not be exactly the same as it was, it's still something that you see all of those artifacts from that are still very much informing what, uh, what the landscape looks like today. So yeah, it is. Those parallels are very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was uh, last year I was just in Cleveland and of course had to go to the rock and roll hall of fame and they actually have a whole, uh, section that's dedicated to, cities and particular styles and movements in, in music. Um, you know, whether it's New York, Manchester, etc. Um, so yeah, those, those ties are a lot more, um, tightly wound than, uh, probably a lot of us think of on a, on a day-to-day basis. But as a, as a music curator, it's, it's probably more front of mind for you than most. Yeah, it's very, it's a very interesting thing to, and, and, uh, I feel very fortunate to get to explore that in the way that I do as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe if we could go back uh, a few years now, I know, uh, but I just want to chat with you about your thesis that you wrote in university about the anthropological analysis of Canadian festival spaces. Perhaps you could uh, share some of the most interesting things you learned uh, in writing that thesis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, like any good research project, uh, when I got to the end of it, and it was about four years, uh, altogether. When I got to the end of it, uh, I would 
happily do the whole thing over again because I knew exactly what I would do uh, <laughs> differently, which was a lot of things. Um, but that's the nature of learning, right? And that's how mm. you know that you've really you've really pushed yourself and you've accomplished uh, you've accomplished something in that learning experience. Um, but yeah, essentially, I mean, I grew up with festivals. Like my my parents were uh, two of the founding members of of South Country Fair back in the eighties. Um, and it was, you know, as I was saying, when I was explaining the place that I grew up, it was always something that was very special to me. Um, but I didn't fully recognize how fortunate I was to have that relationship with, uh, with a festival like that until I was in university when I kind of started to learn things that were causing me to put names and terminology and history and background onto the things that I had just sort of understood as, uh, just sort of a given in the festival, in the festival world. So I got very, very interested and very fascinated, uh, just in, in what, um, what the different elements, the analytical elements of those events were. And because festivals is, it's such a broad term. There's mm. so many kinds of festivals. There's so many kinds of music festivals. There's so many different intentions, you know, from sort of grassroots, uh, organically, uh, uh, constructed events to kind of the more corporate side of things and, you know, everything in between. It's just, it's such a vast, mm-hmm. it, very interesting landscape. So I started to get really interested in it and I was studying cultural anthropology and I was very fortunate to go to, um, I was studying at the university of Lethbridge and it is very much a liberal arts school. They give you a lot of opportunity to really self-direct, uh, your education. And so, I decided I wanted to do an independent study on Western Canadian festivals and just kind of, I, I didn't really have like a thesis at that point. I was just really interested on what people considered valuable in those spaces. Um, and so I went to nine different festivals in Western Canada. This was in 2011. Um, and at the University of Research, or, sorry, the University of Lethbridge also funded my research, which, which was amazing because I was able to... Um, I was able to do this as a summer job without yeah. having to worry about breaking my bank or anything like that. <laughs> um, so that was pretty awesome. And so after the first year of research, I came out of it, like with any good research project, I came out with way more questions than I had started with. So I decided I wanted to expand it into a thesis and actually expand it to Eastern Canada as well. Um, and not so much in terms of a comparative study between East and West, but uh, looking for, uh, interesting common threads that I was able to make better informed, uh, statements about. So, uh, I got funded for another summer of research and went East and did another 13 festivals, uh, in Eastern Canada. And essentially what the thesis ended up looking at was, uh, different systems of value that are constructed within festival spaces. And, not only how that value is created, but where you can find uh, and what you can learn from moments of tension and conflict within mm. those established systems of value. And when we think about festivals, we don't always think about tension and conflict because they're very much 
understood as spaces that are very open-minded, that are very accepting. Uh, it's sort of a crossroads where a lot of different groups and demographics can come together and work together and learn from each other. And that's very much like what the, the festival foundation is all about. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're creating a, 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 a place like that, a scene like that, um, and you're having people from so many different angles come and interact with the same space, uh, the way that value is created is inevitably going to be really different. So like an example would be uh, somebody who goes to a festival because they really like the party and, mm -hmm. and it's, a, it's, a, it's a really fun social environment for them. Um, but that's kind of what they go for is for that side of the scene. And then somebody who attends a festival because of the artistic and the cultural merit that they feel is the most important thing to take away from that. And so not always, but sometimes there can be this, this intersection of those two, uh, those two different systems of value that can create, uh, a certain type of disjuncture and a certain type of discomfort, especially when it comes to defining things like community and and common values and what it means to really sort of in practice uh, carry out what the festival atmosphere represents in theory. So it was right. kind of looking at all of these different groups, uh, performers, attendees, uh, coordinators, uh, looking at different groups and individuals within those groups and figuring out what they thought the main set of values were within that space and how those sets of values interacted with other systems of values within that space as well. So it was, it was very, very interesting. It's very messy as I'm sure you can imagine. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that feed into that dynamic. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very, very interesting, uh, very, very interesting study. I felt very fortunate to be able to, uh, to learn those lessons in the way that I did. It was very hands-on. Um, and that was definitely something that continued, uh, my, my projection into that, into that world of festivals and events coordination and kind of what's brought me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, uh, you know, as, as you were talking about the different, um, value propositions and things, you know, one of, one of the things that my family, uh, builds our summer around or plans our summer around is to make sure we're in town for the Calgary folk music festival. This is particularly since my daughter showed up nine years ago, uh, because as a, as a value proposition now for a, a family rather, you know, I used to go to, to festivals for the music that, you know, love the artists go for the party for sure. But now I've shifted to, uh, to be able to have a weekend where my kid can be way more free range in the city than they otherwise would be. And the sense of community that comes with that and, and everything. So it's in, interesting. And then there, there have been times where, um, someone might be there for more of a party reason and the conflict that that creates. And, and really that's, uh, that's an interesting parallel just about uh, how cities operate in a lot of ways. You know, the, the music festivals would be more curated than just the regular population of a city, but, um, there's, there's a lot of interesting parallels there. So, um, what's, how, how is that, um, the, the, the learnings from your thesis, how has that impacted, uh, the work that you do today in terms of taking that, uh, over many years, try looking at understanding, um, how these festivals, uh, work and the kind of spaces and experiences that they create. Um, I think that it's, uh, it's informed. It, I mean, it, 
it's informed in so many ways that I don't think that I could even really (laughs) like, like I, I can't even imagine what it would be like doing the work I do now without having that foundation, uh, behind me. But I think it, it really comes down to a couple of things. And one of them is, uh, being able to attend festivals, uh, like folk roots and music festivals from Vancouver Island to Newfoundland, uh, um, gave me the most incredible insight on the different ways that things can be done and, and the different ways that this similar, uh, the, this similar intention can be executed, uh, and, and, um, the collaborative efforts that it takes to really put these events together. I've said for as long as I can, as long as I've been doing this, that every festival is its own special little snowflake. Um, <laughs> and that's like, it sounds like really hilarious and cheesy, but it is, it's, it's incredible when you start getting into the inner workings of, mm-hmm. of these events and you see the difference in approach and, uh, and really, you know, for the most part, it's all coming, uh, coming at different angles, looking for the same, uh, the same outcome. So that has been a really interesting thing just in terms of, when you work in this business, you have to be comfortable with the fact that it's not going to go as planned. There's always going to be things that you, you have to troubleshoot. You have to be incredibly flexible um, and you have to kind of pick your battles on things that are going to uh, become a, you know, a big deal and things that you're able to just sort of process as you move through the motions. Um, but having this, this amazing lexicon of, of like this Rolodex of different ways that you can approach things just from what I was able to see and encounter at these different festivals is, is it's, I can't even, I can't imagine doing what I do without that. Um, uh, and the other part of it, I think is just, it gave me, uh, an incredible foundation to continue to want to learn about these events. And it Mm. just kind of made me realize that, uh, there isn't, um, I think by the time I finished my thesis, I was fairly exhausted by academia and it was becoming increasingly difficult to fit something like, uh, you know, the world of, of festivals, particularly specific kinds of festivals that really grew out of the, the, the folk revival in the sixties. Um, it became really hard to kind of just like fit that into the right shape of the, the, you know, the academics wanted, um, and specifically kind of molding it around different theories. And, and it, it started to, to get pretty exhausting. And so the actual, like the final paragraph of my, my thesis, which is 93 pages long, it is like the longest undergrad thesis that has ever been written because <laughs> I just over-researched to the nines because it was such an amazing field to be researching in. Um, but the final paragraph is kind of just like a mic drop. Like I quote Paul Valerie and just say like poems are never finished, only abandoned. And it's just sort of this thing where I'm like, I, I don't know what else I can say. And mm-hmm. so pushing myself to that point where I kind of got to the point that, that that's that moment where I was just like, it just, all that was left to do was drop the mic. Um, once I kind of recovered from that, it just opened up all of these other areas of, of interest and of passion. And, uh, so it kind of is that thing of like, you sort of push yourself to the edge so that you can really learn what, uh, when you come out the other side of it, what you still have left. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
it turned out that I had a lot of initiative to keep doing what I was doing. So it really validated me in that way as well. I don't even know if I'm answering the question that you asked anymore. (laughs) I just talked a whole bunch and here we ended up. (laughs) No, no, absolutely. That's, that's great. And uh, a a good, a good sign of uh, someone that's uh, passionate and loves what they do. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) Um, So, with all your experience uh, with music festivals, um, what what are some of the elements that are embodied in music festivals? And of course, the as you as you explained, they're they're all extremely unique. But what are some of those elements of festivals that you think can be brought into cities to improve the everyday places where where people live? Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that even though. Uh, Festivals are, every festival is so different. Uh, There's a lot of common threads that run through them. Uh, And I think that something that's really amazing and beautiful about the festival, uh, the festival world that I think is what continues to draw people to it is the things that we really practice and celebrate within a festival site are kind of what we would like to see in our society in a bigger way. Um, we're able to kind of create this little micro community where there is, um, uh, like we were saying before, there's sort of this, this junction of many different people of different backgrounds from different scenes coming together and working together and learning from each other. There's an amazing element of trust. Like you were talking about taking your daughter to, to Calgary Folk Fest and kind of feeling like she can have free reign. Cause there's sort of this, this, um, this community that is, it's a, it's a safe space. We feel like we've created mm-hmm. this really beautiful safe space where people look after each other and specifically, um, you know, you, you feel like it's the kind of place where if a, a kid, you know, falls and scrapes their knee, someone's going to pick them up and help them find mom and dad if mom and dad are, you know, like For a sure. couple of steps away or whatever it may be. So I think that there's this, this really beautiful current of being uh, very open-minded and accepting and that's not unanimous. That doesn't mean that absolutely anyone could show up with any values and be accepted into that community. It's a certain kind of acceptance that is uh, really contingent on acceptance, if that makes sense. Yep, like if you sure. show up with that mindset to be have open arms and to be part of something that is really dynamic and and uh, and forgiving and giving and accepting and all of those things. Um, so I think that I think that what we see in festivals, uh, could, there's so many things that could be applied and that we, we make a lot of efforts to apply in, um, in the general landscape of our cities, um, that are very complicated when you get them outside of, you know, the, the festival grounds and the festival dynamic. But I think that's part of the reason why they're so important and part of the reason why they're so, um, that they're really special to a lot of people is because it is that place where you can kind of experience this funny little utopia or something. Yeah. yeah, um, for sure. And it's very, it's very playful as well. There's this, there's this idea that things don't need to be taken super seriously. And in that sense, it's a little bit, um, you know, it's, there's some escapism to that as well, where people are able to go and just suspend their constraints of everyday life and encounter things that they might never see. And it's a place to kind of open, open your eyes a little bit or broaden your horizons. Cause you might not be into, you know, 
Afrofusion funk, but you might encounter an Afrofusion funk band that just like changes your life and you never would have really encountered that in everyday life, but it allows you to sort of let your shoulders down and try something new. So I think all of those elements that we, that the reason that we go to festivals and put so much value in those spaces, I think that that's something that we want to see more of in our society. And that's why it's so important that these spaces exist. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And, and I think that that's a really interesting insight in terms of the the kinds of community, the kinds of experiences that we might not see or even think about in the day to day. So, um, you know, makes me think that a, an experience, it could be uh, musical community uh, and, uh, and otherwise could be really um, you can see what's possible uh, in this, in the maybe say, like you say, a safer space of a music festival. And then you, you know, there, there could be some lessons, experiences, relationships that can transfer out into the, the broader community or broader city that a festival is in um, to, yeah, make, make some positive shifts in the, in the local society. So that's really, uh, really encouraging. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, okay, so the last question I have for you today is uh, something that we ask all our guests. Um, can you tell me a city that you love and why you love it? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a great question. Um, there's a lot. I mean, I grew up like in a, a very small town or living in really rural places. So there's something even still like I've been in Vancouver for the last three and a half years. Uh, and there's something even still today, uh, that's very exciting and alive about being in a city. Mm -hmm. Uh, just how much is happening, how much is available to you, how much is, um, how much is, is, is just alive at that moment. You know, like cities never sleep. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. a really, uh, a really exciting thing. Um, but I, I don't know, there's a lot of cities that are really amazing. Right now I'm, I'm living in Vancouver, which is not, uh, it's not an easy place to live by any means. It's kind of the city right now that's getting a lot of heat in, uh, in Canada for being, uh, inaccessible in terms of housing. And, uh, it's, you know, the property market is insane and there's a lot of things about it that make it really difficult. But, um, I really, really love living here for a lot of reasons. And one of them is that because it's difficult, it really, um, it keeps you super honest in terms of what you're doing here. Mm. And it makes you, uh, sort of be accountable to yourself in the things that you do because it's not the easiest place to live. Uh, you have to be able to, to, um, the things that you do, you have to know that you're really in it. And so it's this, it's this, you don't even have an option, but to be honest with yourself in terms of like why you're doing something, what you want to get out of it and why you're passionate about it. And the amount that I have learned in Vancouver, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting music scene to work in partially because it's really difficult. Uh, it's called no fun city because, (laughs) uh, we still have liquor laws from the prohibition. I mean, technically, unless you have a special liquor license, which is called a cabaret license, it's illegal to stand up and drink your beer in Vancouver. Nobody really enforces that, but it is still a law. Um, yeah, it's just, and there's the, it's a really cutthroat music industry out here. It's, it's very, it's very interesting and it's not all super positive, but the amount that you have to learn to navigate those, those avenues to be able to still 
make arts and culture very accessible is is it's a, it's the best crash course you could ever ask mm. for. I could go to to university for years, you know, doing music management and uh, and I would learn some really amazing things, but I don't think that it would be as effective on the ground as the lessons that I've learned in the city. So uh, it's kind of a double-edged sword, but I really, really love living in Vancouver for the reason that it keeps me super honest. And it's very much a challenge, which can be very frustrating, but also uh, really exciting and very uh, rewarding if you just, you know, take a deep breath and persevere. Mm hmm. That's really cool. I've never uh, heard uh, Vancouver or any place that you know is is expensive or pricey or has other challenges to live that that keeps you honest in terms of what the heck you're doing there because um, you can't get away with being lazy and you know rent's cheap or this is here. That's 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 a really uh, I think a really positive way to look at the realities of that city and cities like it. Um, yeah, that's a, a really good glass half full and constructive way of thinking about it. <laughs> well, glad, I'm glad. I mean, you caught me on a glass half full constructive kind of day. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Okay. Well, uh, thanks so much for, uh, for taking the time and uh, giving us some insights on how the, the world of music can help us build better cities. No problem. Thank you so much for having me today. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, head to intelligentfutures.ca. And if you have any feedback for the podcast, please email us at hello at 360degree.city or ping us on any of our social media channels. If you'd like to give us feedback in person, you can find me, my family, and the rest of the Intelligent Futures team at the Calgary Folk Music Festival in a couple of weeks later in July. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.